Morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Alison, for leading us. It's great to have the boys and girls in with us today. Uh, today, we're, we're going to look at and, and hopefully learn from a lady called Anna. Uh, Anna is the last woman in our Advent kind of December series, looking at eight women whose lives were closely connected to and associated with the birth of Jesus. Five of the women, uh, working. five of the women were part of the somewhat surprising and vaguely dysfunctional family tree of Jesus that is recorded uh, by Matthew in the, in the first chapter of his gospel. There is the, the five women who appear in that family tree, Tamar and Rahab, the prostitute, and then there was Ruth, and then there was Bathsheba, although she's referred to by Matthew as Uriah's husband, and then you have Mary. The sixth woman took us right back to Eden, to Eve, where we discovered Christmas in Eden, and then the seventh woman we looked at was Elizabeth, the elderly relative of Mary, who also discovered that she was miraculously pregnant. And by considering each of those seven ladies' lives, we've attempted to come at Christmas from a slightly different angle this year, and I do hope it's been helpful. Uh, today, we, we finish the series by looking at Anna, and Anna is an intriguing, although almost invisible New Testament figure who is easily overlooked. Uh, this is a, a very famous painting of Anna by Rembrandt. And what can you tell me about Anna from this painting? Immediately, what is it that, that, that strikes you? She's old, like really old. It's another elderly lady in the story. There was another one, the seventh one. We meet Anna at the beginning of Luke's gospel. It's Luke chapter 2, but her entire story, or rather what we know of it, is summed up and captured in only three verses. That's it. So you can see why Anna is often overlooked. Let me ask you a question. What do you know about Anna? Okay. What do you know about Anna? Does anyone know what Anna means, just as a matter of interest? Those who are called Anna. I'm looking out for an Anna McBride. I'm not sure she's here. But can anyone tell me what Anna means? Here's a clue. Alison has said it's kind of been one of the key themes of this series. So what does Anna mean? Grace, favor. And so if you have been following this series, it just seems so appropriate that the last woman we're going to look at her name means grace or favor. Okay, before we stand to read about her brief appearance post-first Christmas, let me, let me just set the scene. So Jesus has been born, celebrated that this week, Tuesday of this week. But after he's eight days old, he gets formally named. He is formally named Jesus as instructed by the angel Gabriel. 32 days after that, so Jesus is now about 40 days old, and this was another part of Jewish custom. Jesus' mom and kind of dad, Mary and Joseph, they take him to the temple in order for him to be consecrated. It's about a seven-mile walk from home. They make the seven-mile journey to have Jesus set apart, and also so that they could offer 
some sacrifices. There was a man in Jerusalem that day, and he was called Simeon. And he immediately identifies Jesus. He identifies Jesus as the Messiah, the one that many, many people, including himself, had been waiting for years and years and years to come. And to say that Simeon was excited to see Jesus would be an understatement. And Simeon goes on to say, he actually goes on to sing some incredible things about this baby, over this baby. And then we meet Anna. It's funny how some people think that Simeon and Anna are married. They're not. They're not. But then we meet Anna. So let's, let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word, as we often do here at Windsor. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but if you want to follow it in your Bible, it's Luke chapter 2, and it starts at verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, that's coming up to Mary and Joseph and the baby, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, spoke about Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's Anna's story. Grab a seat. So just to help you remember what I'm going to share today, I've got three W's. Now, I don't do this often. This is so unlike me. It's not a New Year's resolution, okay? I'm trying to become more of a Baptist pastor, okay? But I've got three W's. Here are three W's to describe this fascinating woman. She is a widow, a worshiper, and the witness. Now, Anna is more than these. Of course she is. But I hope they're going to help provide a bit of a framework for what we're going to look at. This is also the last, as Alison said, the last Sunday of 2018, two days away from 2019. And so if you're looking for some inspiration regarding New Year's resolutions, I'm going to suggest that this lady might just provide a few. Or at least one. One really big New Year's resolution. And here it is. To live a life fully devoted to God in 2019. Like if, that, if that's your only New Year's resolution, to live a life fully devoted to God in 2019, that's all you need. Anna is a prime example of a life well spent. A life committed to God, a life focused on God, a life given to God. And I have to admit, I have, I have found spending some time this week reflecting on her story a real challenge and a real inspiration. So let, let, let's kind of dig in. Anna is introduced as a prophet, but because that doesn't begin in 12, or W, it didn't make the short list. So, but it's worth noting anyway. And the reason that it's really worth noting that Anna was a prophet is because she is the only named female prophet in the New Testament. Now, there is reference to Philip's four daughters who prophesied in Acts chapter 21, but they're not named. Anna is the only named prophet, female prophet, in the New Testament. Now, there were female Old Testament prophets, bit of congregational participation. Who can name me a prophetess from the Old Testament? Deborah, yep, who was the fourth judge of Israel. Anyone else? Sorry? Huldah. 
Yes. Hands up who has heard of Hulda. Now, not Hilda Dawson, Hulda, okay? Yeah, really unknown woman. She was as well. Miriam, Moses' sister, was a prophet. Yes, and there was one other. But whatever way you look at this and think about this whole idea of women prophets, the one thing we can say for, for sure is that Anna's quite exceptional. Unique, maybe. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks the word of God. A prophet is divinely inspired to make God known to others. And so clearly this was something Anna did. This was a woman worth listening to. This was a woman worth hearing, worth paying attention to. And we should. And so the next thing we discover about her is she was a widow. And she's been married just for seven years before her husband died. And now it says she's 84, which in all probability means that she'd been a widow for approximately 60, 65 years. Most people in that culture time got married at about 14, 15. She was married for seven years, 21, 22, when her husband died. She's now 84, so she's been a widow for 60 plus years. Although if you have a reference Bible or a study Bible, you will note that some people actually think she has been a widow for 84 years. And so in other words, when we meet Anna, she's actually about 104. Here's the main point. She has been a widow for decades. Now in that culture and at that time, someone who lost their husband so quickly and so young, well, they would have been expected to just remarry and have kids. And to do that soon, and if not soon, to certainly do it at some stage, but Anna doesn't do that. Anna hasn't done that. She has made another choice. She's chosen a different path. And you know, losing someone you love is a devastating thing. Irrespective of age, or stage. It radically changes life. It certainly impacts your faith. But it doesn't need direct either. Although for some people it can come dangerously close to both. And I'm in no way about to underestimate or downplay the raw grief and sorrow that loss like this causes. But Anna is someone who appears to who appears to have worked her way through loss and grief with God and alongside God. She didn't become bitter. It would seem she became better. Her circumstances didn't drive her away from God. In fact, if anything, they drove her closer to God. Because the very next thing we read about this woman is she never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Anna was a full-on worshiper, 24-7 worshiper, whole life worshiper. Anna was a worshipaholic. Don't know if that's a real word, but I just made it up, okay? Anna was a worshipaholic. Now, there's probably part of us that when we read this or when we hear this, we think, do you know something? This is all a bit over the top. This is extreme. This is hardcore. And therefore, the tendency is whenever you read something like this, that here is a woman who never leaves the temple but worships night and day fasting and praying. Immediately, the tendency is we distance ourselves from this woman because she's a freak. This is freakish behavior. This isn't 
normal. So we distance ourselves from Anna. Who seriously wants to spend all their time at church? Now, it's low, it's highly unlikely that Anna actually lived in the temple because not even the high priest did that. So what we're really hearing here from Dr. Luke is that see the moment the doors opened to the moment the doors closed, from when the lights went on to the lights went off, Anna was there as much as possible. She gave, she dedicated her life to being in God's presence. Do you know this whole biblical idea that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, Anna actually took that to heart. And so day after day, for decades, six of them, maybe eight of them, Anna put herself in the immediate, intimate presence of God. Here is a woman fully devoted to God for the long haul persistent in her faith. Anna is a model of perseverance. A long walk in the same direction is written all over her life. And remember, just like many others, just like Simeon, but just like so many others, Anna has been waiting. Now that is another W. I had thought about saying she was a waiter, but that would just be confusing, okay? But Anna has been waiting. How long has she been waiting? For her entire life, for the promised one, for the light, for redemption. For her entire lifetime, she's been waiting. And finally, here in Jerusalem, on this particular day, he arrives. And she sees him. And surely after 60 or 80 years of waiting, you'd have given up, you'd have given in, but not Anna. She continues to worship day in and day out, 24-7, whole life worship. And therefore, one of the things that we can be absolutely clear about when it comes to this elderly lady is this. She was ready to see Jesus. Prepped and ready. And so she recognizes him and she recognizes everything about him despite the fact he's only 40 days old. All that focused waiting, all that full-on 24-7 whole life devotion and worship meant that Anna was primed and set to meet Jesus. And you see, without pushing this too far, 100 years from now, every single person sitting in this church this morning is going to see Jesus. Every single person. Either he will have returned second advent to end history as we know it, or you and I will be spent. You and I will be done. And either way, like Anna, all of us one day are going to see Jesus. And so the question is are we as prepared? Will we have lived lives of 24-7 worship? Will we have loved God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, with every fiber in our being? Will we? As we are commanded, to, the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. That is full-on 24-7 whole life worship. That is what prepares you 
to meet Jesus. All of us are going to do that one day. So the question is, are, are we prepared for it? Are we prepared for it? We don't need to rack up to a, a building every day to worship God. We still worship 24-7. Why? Because of this. Because Jesus has made access into God's immediate, intimate presence real through his death on the cross. We can worship God 24-7. Plus, as temples of God, the Holy Spirit, our entire lives are meant to be continual expressions of worship. Yes, coming to a building like this to join with others in corporate worship is really important. It's a vital practice, spiritual discipline. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us, we can take our everyday, ordinary life, our eating, sleeping, going to work, walking around lives, and we can place them before God as what? As an offering, a spiritual offering of worship. And as Jesus tells a woman at a well in Samaria, God is seeking worshipers. He's seeking true worshipers, those who worship him in spirit, in other words, from the inside out, those who worship him in truth as, in, as it's meant to be. And therefore, Anna is an example as opposed to a freak. She made a choice to worship God day and night, 24-7, whole life. And this is our choice. This is my choice. This is your choice on the last Sunday of 2018 before we step into 2019. It's our choice today. It's our choice every day of this new year, knowing that one day we're going to stand face to face with Jesus. And depending on the choice we make around full-on, 24-7, whole life worship will determine how that encounter goes. But what did Anna's worship look like? What did it involve? Well, back to verse 37, where we discover that spiritual disciplines are alive and well in Anna's life. Fasting, prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of all Christians. It's the lifeblood of every church. We actually haven't looked at it as part of our Unforced Rhythm series, but we will in two weeks. We are to pray without ceasing, whatever that means. We are to pray without ceasing. And Anna did. It was part of her daily rhythm of life. She prayed every day. And she fasted. And here's a stretch, isn't it? As we discovered, as we did look at this discipline as part of our series, but one of the things that we did say about fasting is that fasting needs to be done for spiritual purposes as opposed to an end in itself. And I can't confirm, I can't stand up here this morning and tell you why specifically Anna fasted regularly. Apart from re-emphasizing the point that she, along with many others, were waiting, were longing, were hoping for the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus. And so I do wonder, was part of her purpose, was part of her intention, was part of the reason she fasted to concentrate her mind and retain the focus was that why she constantly, regular, I don't know exactly how often she did it, but I love what someone has said, Anna's constant fasting produced a gluttony of hope. Anna's constant fasting produced a gluttony of hope, and I love that idea, and if nothing else, let's be gluttons for hope in 2019. Let's be people whose lives, whose worship is characterized. How should my life be characterized? Well, if I embrace the example of Anna, my worship should be characterized by praying, yeah, that's kind of okay, but also by fasting. 
And I know as we did the series together on unforced rhythms and we looked at fasting and I threw out the challenge and I know a number of you did engage with it and I know a number of you fed back how that went for you. But could I encourage you in 2019 that if this is not part of your regular rhythm of life, if it is not a spiritual discipline that feeds, if it's not a holy habit, seriously, if you can, if you don't have medical reason, seriously consider practicing the discipline of fasting. The final W, so she's a widow. She's a worshiper 24-7, full on. And the final W is found in the last verse, coming up to them, Mary and Joseph coming up to them. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God, Anna gave thanks to God, and spoke about Jesus to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was a witness. She speaks about Jesus to everyone, yes, who is looking for redemption. Let me read you some words from a poem about Anna. Exuberantly, Anna recognizes a child at his presentation in the temple. She talks of him in no uncertain terms. Her particular words are shrouded, but delight registers profoundly under the veil of widow black. A lifetime of focus is all in her eyes. Thanks be to God. You see, when Anna encounters Jesus, there's two things. There's praise and there's proclamation. She thanks God for Jesus, and then she tells others about Jesus. So Anna ensures that this message, this gospel, this good news gets beyond the temple precincts. It goes beyond these walls. And in 2019, if we can embrace Anna's model, this is all you do in 2019. If you live a life fully or commit yourself to living a life fully devoted to God in 2019. And here's part of what this might look like. If in 2019 you do nothing but praise God and proclaim Jesus, then there's another couple of brilliant personal New Year's resolutions. In fact, as I was thinking about that, that's a great church one. That in 2019, Windsor Baptist, we just praise God and proclaim Jesus. That if we get to the end of this year, before God will, we move into our new building. If we can look back and say, do you know something? See, for the last 365 days or whatever, the last 52 weeks, that's been our desire. We've just wanted to praise God and proclaim Jesus. Just as a slightly interesting aside, it's, I find it fascinating how here at the beginning of the Gospels, it's a woman who's one of the first to publicly proclaim the advent, the arrival of Jesus to the masses. And at the end of the Gospels, it's women who are first to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Women just are better, okay? That's, that's all I'm saying. That's the only point I'm making. They're just more likely to be witnesses, it would seem. And the modern missionary movement proves that. More women missionaries than men. Has been. Always the case for years and years and years. So I need to finish. Anna was a widow. She was a worshiper. She was a witness. Her life was really long. Her story, really short. But her example, her devotion, her proclamation are worth taking on board. Anna waited for the first advent for a very long time, but she spent that time wisely. And we wait for the second, second advent of Jesus. We are people who are waiting for his second coming. And I want to suggest we could do a lot worse than copy Anna 
in terms of how we use our time. We worship, we witness, despite the circumstances of our lives, irrespective of what life throws at us. We spend 2019 and forever worshiping and witnessing.